My goodness, that was an amazing song. Holy, I am overwhelmed at how significant. Thank you, Brittany, Beth, and team. It was incredible. I know we've been praying a lot, but I, I, I just want to pray after that song. Can we pray together? So what a, a, a beautiful, humble prayer of so will I. Yeah. Just want to say uh, collectively, Father, to you, Abba Father. So will we. So will we. We'll follow where you lead. We'll listen for your voice. We want to obey. We want to trust we want to be your people. Thank you for the invitation, Lord. Thank you for the incredible invitation, Lord. We say, so will we. We'll join the mountains. We'll join the ocean. We'll join the rocks, Lord. So will I. Amen. Good morning. Um, we have two courses that meet on Wednesday. Uh, one is Days of the Kingdom, where we're looking at Jesus' big idea. The other is the marriage course. And on Wednesday evening, this past Wednesday evening, I promised them, especially the marriage course, that I would share the most profound lesson regarding marriage and human relationships that I've learned. The, the lesson that has affected my marriage more than any other uh, lesson. And then I told a joke about marriage, which they enjoyed. So this is not a joke. This is really true. This is real. So the, the most profound message that, that I have learned and continue to live into regarding marriage and I would say relationships in general. And that is, has to do with the purpose purpose. I think when you can identify God's purpose in something, it can be very significant and powerful. And uh, a lot of people will have different opinions on the purpose of marriage. A lot of the world says the purpose of marriage is happiness, right? I think that's one reason why we have so much divorce is because when people are not happy, right, they say this isn't working, Right, so we get rid, and I would, I hope that we have much happiness in our marriage, uh, marriages and relationship, but I don't think that's the purpose. I don't think that's why God knit two people together in that way. Within the Christian church, I've heard a lot of the purpose as, as not happiness, but holiness, as iron sharpens iron in that way. And though I do believe that God uses relationships and marriages to sharpen us, I don't think that's the, the essence of marriage. In fact, the, the purpose of marriage goes back to the, the story of Genesis, uh, back to when Adam was created. He's in a perfect relationship with God. All is good. There's no brokenness, rebellion, or sin. Everything is good. God is saying, good, good, good. And then he says, but there's one thing that's not good. And that one thing that was not good, as you know what that was? He was alone. He was alone. 
And he, he brings Eve because the Godhead, in a beautiful, mysterious way, has fellowship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And yet, even though Adam was in this perfect relationship with God, that they walked together, they talked together, there was no sacred friendship. There was no sacred marriage. And he brings Eve. And I think the purpose, central, the core, is intimacy. It is this idea that, that we would know one another so well. That, that he knit us together, both physically and spiritually and emotionally, that he brings this intimacy together with one another. Oftentimes when I'll meet with couples, we'll, we'll talk about this idea. And uh, by the way, it does apply to human relationships, all human relationships. So I, I think that I have an intimacy level with my children I have an intimacy level with most all of you. If you're a visitor, I've never met you, then maybe there's no intimacy level. But at least no matter how deep or shallow, there's elements of intimacy. It's not just about married couples, but in, in, in uh, friendships, there's a level of intimacy. A healthy, good friendship, whether with the same sex or the opposite sex, reflects a healthy biblical intimacy intimacy that's there and the same is true for marriage now when I get together with some marriage couples we look at what I would call a oneness map or a sacred friendship map and we divide that intimacy in four areas I think we have that map up there and you see you've got the physical aspect I don't just mean that uh, as sex I think you can have physical intimacy with others uh, sexual intimacy is only meant to be with a spouse, correct? Right? That's, yes? Yes, but you can still go on a hike together. You can go work out together. My wife and I work out together, right? That's part of our physical intimacy, all right? You've got emotional intimacy, social intimacy, spiritual intimacy. And when I talk with couples, and those couples are zeroed out. So if you've got that circle that represents maybe 75 on a scale of 0 to 100, and couples are zeroed out, 0 to 5, on all areas of intimacy, their marriage is in trouble. Right? Marriage is in trouble. And so God invites us to grow in our intimacy in marriages. And I would also say that is true regarding our friendships too, a healthy intimacy, not a broken, not, a, not, not a, a worldly intimacy, but a godly, healthy intimacy is a growing intimacy with friendships. So I look at my consistory, my elders in particular, and my staff team, those two folks outside of uh, my wife and family, I, I have a, a, an intimacy level that, that is good, that's growing with elders and staff team. You understand? I think part of the issue, why we struggle so much in relationships is because we don't know how to do intimacy in healthy and biblical ways. We don't know how to grow that in our marriages, in our friendships, with our children. We don't know how to do intimacy. It's broken. And oftentimes the world identifies intimacy only in one way. What's that one way? Yeah, I was intimate with her. 
We know what that's at, right? You hear that? Only in physical, only sexual, sometimes emotional, sometimes, well, I love her, but, that, but there's so much more in terms of intimacy that God invites us to. I, I define it, I remember intimacy like this. I, I heard this many years ago, but the definition of intimacy is into me you see. Into me you see. There's a, there's a depth, there's a connectedness, um, there's a, a growing together. We prayed about it. Unity, right? There's, a, there, there's a, a connection there. Now, why do I bring this up? Because we're actually not talking about intimacy in relationships with one another this morning. But we are talking about intimacy this morning. We're talking about intimacy between us and God. Do you know that this is one of the ministries that the Holy Spirit wants to have in your life? He wants to, amen, brother. He wants to teach you and I about growing in intimacy. Yes, in marriage, it's part of the intimacy ministry. Yes, in relationships and friendships. Yes, in the community, the Christian community intimacy. All that he wants to teach about intimacy. But this morning, we're going to talk specifically about intimacy with the one true living God. And I want to suggest to you that he has so much more available to you and I in terms of intimacy with him. Now let me begin with this question. Is how intimate do you think the one true living God wants to be with you? How intimate, how close do you think, not really, really, that you think God wants to be with you? There's many of us right, that we have this kind of, in the back, this, this voice in the back of our head is, you know, God is super big, and I'm just one person, and he's got bigger things to worry about than me, right, he doesn't want to just hang out with me, right, he's God, he's big, I'm me, I'm super small, so, right, he's, he's way too involved to, to really be concerned with the details of my life. Do, do any of you, am I the only broken one that just kind of has that assumption, right? That, that, that God, there's, a, there's a, a distance there. I would say that Jesus disagrees with that sentiment. I would say that Jesus would challenge that cultural view of God is big and distant, that Jesus wants to invite us. Let me just, one scripture, he's, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says this. Listen to the, the language that he uses. This is from John 14. We have the scriptures up for you on the screens. Talking about the Holy Spirit, he says this. Can we go to that next screen there with John 14? There it is. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Biblical knowing is a deep and abiding knowing. It's an experiential knowing, not just an intellectual knowing. For he, the Holy Spirit, lives with you and will be in you. 
On that day you will realize that I, Jesus, am in my Father. And you are in me. And I am in you. Could Jesus use more intimate language than talking about our connection with him? I don't think I could think of more intimate language. When, he, when he's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, and his engagement in us, right? He even likens his connection with the Father, right? How amazing. Would you say that Jesus and the Father are pretty close? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Just a, a we, yeah, but no, they're super close. And you realize that he's saying, just like the Father and I, that we are in, in this way, this mysterious, this beautiful way, that's how he's inviting you and me to be connected to him. You see, from those scriptures, I see this amazing invitation and willingness that, that we would get it, that he came, that he gives his spirit. He, yes, he's enthroned in heaven right now, but then as we worship, he grants his spirit to be with us, and with isn't enough, also in us, in this way. I think this is so crucial, friends, because not only do we struggle with intimacy with one another and how to do that in healthy and biblical ways, we especially struggle with intimacy with God. Amen. Right? Unfortunately, that's an amen. Yes, we do struggle with that. And this is one of the ministries he, he's wanting to work within us and, and through us. We are going to look at a story this morning in Genesis 32. If you've brought your Bibles, please open it there. And we're going to look at a story that is perhaps one of the most mysterious stories in all of Scripture. There's not a whole lot of details. It has to do with Jacob and Jacob is traveling home. Jacob is one of the patriarchs. He's traveling home, and he has been very, very deceptive and manipulative to his older brother Esau. And so he uh, has robbed the blessing uh, of Esau. And after years and years of really uh, being away from home, Jacob is returning home, and Esau is going to meet him. And he is very concerned about meeting with his older brother, that his older brother at one point in their history said, I am going to take my conniving younger brother Jacob out, right? So this is somewhat of a life-threatening circumstance for Jacob. And so Jacob is, is leading his family and his caravan, his wealth, and they cross a, a river, and yet he remains by himself. And let's look at why he chooses to remain, sends his, his wives, his animals, caravan, all of that. He sends them across and says this. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Verse After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. He was a wealthy man. He's got a couple of wives and servants, many sons. 
He sends all of his wealth, all of his family, all, all he has across the stream. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Where, where'd the man come from? What's, what's happening? Holy cow, it just jumped in. What's, we'll, we'll figure that out. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wretched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. We still have no idea what is taking place. We just know that this is not an ordinary man. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God. Hmm. With, and with humans, and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he, the man replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. See who Jacob believes this man is. And yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, probably symbolic, of a new life, a different life for Jacob. And he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So the first question is, who is this mysterious man? What is going on? It is believed that it was God himself that in some way took on physical form and wrestles with Jacob. In fact, the prophet Hosea said this about the story. He's reflecting on the story of wrestling between Jacob and God and says, as a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. So somehow, there's, of course, this is steeped in mystery. God actually takes a physical form as he does in other places of scripture, and he gets down and dirty and he wrestles in the dirt with Jacob. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that like mind-blowing? What, how do we, what significance? Why is that a story in scripture? Does he just not want the Israelites to eat from that particular hip spot? Or what, what is, what's going on? What's the lessons that we can learn? I always like to ask questions of the story to help us get into the narrative. So I, I was wondering if there was some heavenly discussion prior to the wrestling match. Like was Angel Gabriel going, hey, Jesus, um, Jacob would like to wrestle. I'll take it. And Jesus is like, no. This one's on my, me, right? Was there any stretching that took place on God's part before the, right? Did he talk any smack to Jacob? You don't know who you're. 
right? Did he do any of that? Did he pull a karate kid at all? That No, I'm just getting you into there, right? So just imagine that moment he steps in. Did he pull a Bruce Lee, right? No, all right, just, so he, he gets this, and, and what to say? I, I think one of the big lessons for this is what does it say about a God who will get down and dirty with one of his children and wrestle in the dirt of life? What what does that say about him? Yes, is he a great and awesome and big God? Has he created the oceans and the mountains, all of that? Yes, and yet there is this willingness on God's part to get down in the dirt and wrestle, to, to meet us where we're at to provide what we need. I, I think there's this, this willingness on God's part that we have to notice in the story. And even this willingness turns into this invitation that God invites us. God as creator invites us to intimacy. One way to think about this is that God created you and me for the very intimacy that we long for. That, that's the source of longing, right? Do, do you ever long for a, a, a greater connect with God? Do you know why you long for that? Because he created you to long for that. If you think, uh, the, the scholars call it the divine kiss in creation. No other a part of creation, does God do it like this? But for, for human beings, we're told in Genesis 2.7, says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. We have that scripture. Go to the scripture, Genesis 2.7. So you get this invitation. Go uh, two screens forward, I think it is, Irene. There it is. Then the Lord God, listen, he's doing all this. He's speaking into creation. Then it says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. In some beautiful way, God leans over Adam's body and he he breathes life, this divine kiss. This personal relationship, this divine relationship was lost because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve. But God said, I will not give up. I created you for this and I will grant this intimacy that you were created for. I will seek after it. I was thinking, I had this, uh, I can't remember most important things in the details of life. But boy, I can remember movies. I can remember, like, this is a movie from 25 years ago. And The Officer and the Gentleman. Anyone remember The Officer and Gentleman? That was a classic, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and there's a, a scene there. It's with Richard Gere. It's with Louis Gossett Jr. And he's in this uh, Naval Aviation Academy. And he's ready to quit. He's at the end of his rope. And... Um, and I guess I'll just tell you the story. Oh, should we watch the video? Just one minute, one minute. Watch, play that video and watch where he is about 
Richard Gere is about to quit the, the Naval Academy. Officer candidate requests permission to see you in private, sir. Male, the whole class knows about candidate White and Wasabi. Oh, I bet you are. I want to see you in private, sir. No, now. Admitted. Now. Father, sir, I request permission. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left. Left, sir. This officer left. candidate requests permission to see you in private, sir. Now I'm busy. And so are you. Now get cleaned up. I don't need your sh I came back to quit. D-O-R. Huh? I don't need you. I don't need a Navy. I don't need anybody. Okay, Mayo. I see what you want. You said you wanted to meet me in private? You got it. The blimp hanger. Now! Move it. You move it. We ain't going there to talk, boy. No! Why did Lewis Gossett Jr. agree to wrestle with Richard Gere? He was about to quit. Richard Gere, he, he needed, it was, he was full of anger. He's full of pain. He's full of sorrow. And so the drill sergeant has an interesting relationship with all of those folks. He says, did you hear? I see what you want. And then he meets him in the hangar and they go at it and fight. Jacob, it's so fascinating. He prayed already. If you, if you look at the earlier part of the chapter, he prayed, and God had already promised his blessing. God already had promised, he's got you. I'm there for you. I, I, I am, you are, through the promise, you'll receive all of this, and yet that wasn't enough for Jacob. And so he sends, he sends his whole family over there, and then he just spends more time and he cries out in desperation. And God says, okay, I see what you need. It's on. I think there's another truth in the story. Not only is the, the willingness of God, the invitation of God is there, but we have to want it. We have to long for it. It's not enough just to say, you know what, I, I want a healthy marriage. That's not enough, is it? We have to fight for it. We have to, we have to get down in the dirt and fight for a healthy marriage. It's not enough to say, you know, I would really like an intimate relationship with God. We got to fight for it. He made this promise. He said... You will seek me and find me. What a promise. When you seek me in a half-hearted way. What's it say? With all of your heart. Jeremiah 29. That's part of your outline. And then also James 4, 8. Come near to God. Hear the promise. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's this incredible promise that he gives to you and me. He invites us. He said, go after it. Seek me with all of your heart. Draw near to me. 
What's amazing to me in this story is it's Jacob who's initiating that we have a role to play. Yes, the Holy Spirit wants to play, uh, serve this ministry of intimacy in our lives, but you and I are, well, okay, God, if that's what you really, no, he's looking for those who are like, I want it. I want more of you, God. I I feel it. I long. I'm going to press. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to push in. That's what Jacob does. Jacob presses in. He arranges his life for intimacy. He takes the time to say, all right, I'm going to, make, I'm going to take this serious, right? And I'm going to send all, all that I own over there, and it's just me and God one-on-one, right? Now, I have a theory. It's, a, it's an amen theory, but it's a bad one. I have a theory that the busyness of life has a direct and negative correlation to our level of intimacy with God. Amen. Now, now see, our culture really values busyness, doesn't it? That's, uh, hey, Eric, how you doing? I'm busy. Why do I say that? Because I want you to think I'm important. I want you to, right, we're, just, we're, we're busy. Yeah. We, we busy our lives with all sorts of stuff. I think one of the huge challenges is to arrange our lives according to this incredible invitation from God to be intimate with him. I'm going to put it this way. I think that we can add a spiritual rhythm to our lives. Listen to this promise again in Hebrews 10, 22. We have that on the screens and in your outline. If you look there, Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near to God. Go one more screen. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith, that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus did all that. Jesus cleanses us, uh, removes all the barriers that would be between us and God. But now it's our turn, this invitation, let us draw near to God. Friends, what does it look like for you to draw near to God? What does it look like to arrange your life? What could you do? One thing that you could add to your daily schedule, your daily rhythm of life that would draw in or create that space. You see, Jacob was creating that moment, that space, that time to wrestle with God. What's that one thing you could put into your life? You know, we, uh, every, every church has to wrestle with how you do discipleship, how you raise up leaders. And uh, as a church, we are growing in what we call apprentice huddles. And we're doing discipleship and leadership development. We have six that are happening right now. And part of that discipleship, part of those apprentice huddles, is we ask the question of rhythm. What are the spiritual disciplines that you're living out today that will lead to the life 
that God is calling you to have? What are the disciplines? Like, whatever that is. If you watch TV for a solid two hours a day, will that influence your life? Yes? It's a rhythm. If you watch a solid two hours of the Kardashians for two hours... Yes? If you were to read scripture for even 15 minutes a day, that's a rhythm, that's a discipline. If you were to pray for 15 minutes a day, would that have effect? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So what is that rhythm, that one rhythm that you could add? I've just recently trying to add this rhythm to my life. It's, it's connected to a, um, in uh, St. Ignatius in the spirituality that was there. They have a cornerstone practice called the Daily Examine. And all it is is it's inviting the Holy Spirit to direct. And so I do it in the evening and I say, um, Lord, where, where did I experience your grace and your goodness and your mercy today? And I let him bring up a moment in that. And then, Lord, where did I experience your angst, your struggle today? And then I pray into that before I go to bed. Do you think that rhythm is going to affect my life? It already has. How I sleep, it affects. How I process the day, it affects. What's that one discipline? I, I want to make a few other uh, observations in our time together. One is identity and intimacy, that they go hand in hand. Did you notice, of course, a, a crucial part of this mysterious story is that God renames Jacob. And of course, that renaming relates to um, his identity, who he is. Jacob, in this context, means a deceiving and conniving, and that's who Jacob was. And yet now this blessing was a new day. The sun set on that old life and rises into this new life, and he's named Israel in this context, meaning he contends, he struggles with God, he walks with God, he wrestles with God. This connects to last week. We talked about one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is new life and identity. And it connects also a ministry of intimacy. And friends, I, want, I, I think the kingdom truth that's here is this. As you move towards God, he will teach you more and more who you are meant to be. He will teach you more and more your calling, your purpose, all of that. Listen to this beautiful passage from Romans 8, 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. That's the old way of life. That's the old way of living. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughterhood, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Many of you know that Abba is that. It's an intimate Aramaic term. It means dad, 
or daddy. The Spirit of God will teach you that he's not just the God of the universe. He is, desires to be Abba, Father to you. He will also, as you draw close to him, he will teach you who you are meant to be, not a slave to fear, not a, a son of anarchy or any other son or daughter, but a son and a daughter of God himself, a child of God. He will teach you identity as you draw close to him. It's called soul work, and he longs to do it in your life. And the final observation from the story is this, is that blessing and sacrifice go hand in hand. I pondered why God would strike the hip of Jacob. I don't know if I have a great answer, I don't know if the, the commentaries I read gave a great answer. I, I think maybe there's some nuances there, but this is what I felt like the Lord was saying, is any good thing has a great cost. Any good thing has a great cost. I was thinking of the apostle Paul, and he was given these surpassing great revelations, and right after he talks about these surpassing great revelations, he says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from be becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I think the greatest blessing in all the world is intimacy with our creator. Intimacy with God the Father, Abba Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, his spirit. And yet, for whatever reason, I, I, I'm not exactly sure why, that there's a testing, there's a struggle, there's a pain, there's a sacrifice. It's true of all the great women and men of God. Maybe it's because we live in a fallen world. Maybe it's because there's just some things within the soul that he cannot get to through blessing and favor, that the only way he can get to it is struggle and sacrifice. There's a pastor John Wimber, creator of the Vineyard Movement, and he said this, I don't trust a pastor unless he walks with a limp. And I think what he meant by there is that there is a testing, there's a struggle, there's a cost, and he's looking for the women and the men who will pay the price, who will give the cost, who will sacrifice for intimacy and love with God. I want to be one of those folks 
that as I experience the cost, as I experience the pain, I don't want to, in, in, in a, a spirit of uh, accusation and accusatory of God, why God? I, I want to be one of those men that, that says, in a really allowing an intimate relationship to say, okay, why, God? What are, you, what are you teaching me? What are you saying? Why'd you allow this? What's, what's going on? See, I think a lot of us, we're going, why, God? And he's looking for the women and the men that go, why God? Teach me. I know that, I know, I trust that you and I are going to be closer to one another after this. If you liken a marriage to a garden, gardens can be beautiful and wonderful but you got to put work into it. You got to tend the garden, don't you? You 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 got to you got to get your hands dirty. You got to get on your knees and and work at it. If you don't work at your marriage, guess what happens? It goes wild. The garden goes wild. It becomes unhealthy. And, and and God is saying, I will, I'll get down next to you in the dirt. I, I'll get soiled with you. But but you gotta want it. You gotta do it with all your heart. You, you gotta stop simply living your life in a rhythm that leads away from intimacy but draws you in. Let's pray. So Lord, what a story. I just have this sense that you, you want this story deep in our hearts and souls that we would be walking in that thinking about that, that this is the kind of God that you are, that you, you get down in the dirt and up close and personal with us. Lord, help us to want it, to long for it, to strain for it. Forgive us for our busyness. Forgive us that we fill our lives with work and career and kids, hobbies. All of those things are good things, but Lord, help us to live our lives with open hands and open hearts, longing for more, more of you. Scott Reese is our VP of Consistory. He's going to lead in our final connect with National Day of Prayer. So we pray with Scott.
2 Corinthians 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, we pray that people across America, people in every town, city, and county throughout our land will come together in humility and reverence to seek your face, to seek your will above all, to seek your presence, to seek your revelation unto us. We pray that people across our nation would turn from sin, from every path that does not represent you or your heart, O Lord. We pray, sovereign God, that your presence would fall upon us collectively and individually, that you would speak to our nation, forgive our sins, and bring healing to our lives, healing to our relationships, our families, churches, businesses, schools, and states. We ask that you empower the NDP staff and volunteers with the power of the Holy Spirit as they lead thousands of prayer observances on the National Day of Prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you supply the needed financial resources for the organization of the NDP task force so that this opportunity would be maximized. We call upon you, O God, to unite powerfully and lead very clearly Dr. Ronnie Floyd, president of the National Day of Prayer, as he oversees the leadership of this massive prayer movement on May 3, including the national observance of the National Day of Prayer in Washington, D.C. Move upon America, Jesus, one heart at a time as we seek intimacy with you. Amen.